All right, welcome back to another episode of Stories from the Crisper Drawer. This is, uh, well, this is episode 10 of season 2. I've nicknamed it, just give me a second, it's just loading up right now, uh, Steaks on a Grill. And it is August 17th, 2019, because I haven't recorded anything since June 26th, because I've been really fucking busy, and I don't like that. Um... July was practically a wash. I could have talked about, and I wrote a script actually about the um, stampede that happened in Calgary and how that was actually ridiculously fun. Um, although some unfortunate things did happen there, specifically the uh, six horses that died from the cattle racing. I mean, the um, check wagon racing, which is just absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, I'm not involved in that industry. I just... I like... Ch- the idea of truck wagon racing so I can't like my opinion doesn't really count for much on this it's like <laughs> I'm not a super important person on that I don't put money into it I mean I guess being a watcher I'm probably involved but I know so little I can't make an informed opinion on that sort of stuff so I don't uh, what else has happened well <laughs> just less than uh, two weeks ago we had a shooting in El Paso, and within 20 hours, we had a shooting in Dayton, Ohio, El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio. The El Paso one was a right-wing crazy trying to kill Mexicans and people of Spanish, Latin American culture and Spanish culture, just terrible, and the Dayton, Ohio one just seemed like to be an insane nut job, and besides from that and the fact that the news has already been out and everyone else has reported on it, what else can I say? Just keep the victims in your mind, give them your sympathy and your empathy, and it's just, it, it's a terrible thing, and, and the families and all that, it's just, it's terrible. Terrible when this happens. Can't, like, i not involved in that, so I can't really add anything more to that. Speaking of Dayton, though, within, a, within like, a week of the Dayton shooting, my father and I traveled to Dayton, Ohio, to finally visit the U.S. Air Force Museum. We'd been planning to go there for years. We'd known, like, five or six years ago we learned about it. Um, many, many years ago we went to, um, uh, in Tucson, Arizona, there's a big private museum there that also has access to the um, Air Force base where you get to see the mothball fleets of the U.S. Air Force. And some Navy assets and stuff like that is sent there. And, you know, they're essentially kept in preserved quality to be turned back around and reactivated if needed, but mostly slowly um, cannibalized for parts for current existing aircraft. And we've, I've always wanted to go to the Dayton one. I have not seen the new Smithsonian Super Museum, which exists. I haven't been to that one yet, but probably will go to it eventually. Uh, was at it, the original one in 2001, um, which is a story unto itself, a long time ago, so 11 year, 18 years ago I visited that one. Um, but that was before they built the one out at um, Dulles Airport, which is way larger. Or is it Ronald Reagan? I forget where they did it. It's probably wrong. It's probably out near Ronald Reagan International Airport, actually. But I don't know where it is. Anyway, I wanted to go to this one. And it was... Everything and more. <laughs> I knew that there were some amazing exhibits, amazing aircraft, and stuff like that. I knew that they had, um, I, I knew that they had uh, what's it called? Um, I knew that they had a Valkyrie, 
there, the XP70 Valkyrie. I knew they had a YF23. I th knew they had a B2 Stealth Bomber. But knowing versus seeing is an amazing thing. Seeing an F22 Raptor, seeing a YF23 Black Widow, seeing the XP70 Valkyrie, seeing an F117, seeing an AC130 Spectre gunship loaded out with his original kit equipment. By that I mean, I have a picture of an AC-130 from Vietnam era with two 20mm um, rotary cannons, M61As, and two M134s, as well as two Bofors 40mm cannons. Amazing, with a 105 howitzer um, mounted next to it, and a, and a, uh, blue a, a BLU-82 um, explosive bomb, daisy cutter. Just absolutely amazing seeing the Ardvark, seeing the F-16, seeing an F-15, seeing, um, seeing an XP-36 bomber, seeing the Stratojet, uh, B-52, and the guys that would have used closer to the Vietnam War stuff, um, seeing a B-1B Lancer, uh, just unbelievable. It's it was like almost my mecca. And of course, as we're there, what else do we find? We find four presidential planes, FDR's plane, Truman's airplane, Eisenhower's airplane, and the jet that Kennedy flew on, as well as the one that carried his casket to the funeral from, um, you know, during that terrible time, and the one that uh, Lyndon B. Johnson got um, sworn in on. So that was a amazing... Um, it's an amazing experience to go on those, um, to see American aircraft from World War II, to see a ME-262 Messerschmitt that they had, an ME-109, they had that as well. They had like tons of gear through from the start of flying all the way up to current day technology. Um, Reapers, Global Hawks, a Predator, uh, Birds of Prey, the XB-15, uh, just... You know, crazy test stuff that NASA got their hands on, like the XA-25, the XB-70, and then the crazy, awesome, real stuff that's actually seeing service today, and stuff that was built. I mean, the amazing thing is that what, what, what I came away with is how much consolidation the Air Force has done about how Vietnam, well, let's put it this way, so Korea, they only had a few aircraft, um, and World War Two, the Army Air Forces and the Navy had tons of aircraft in their inventory, and so did the Marines. But, you know, there was a consolidation down, and then Vietnam and the Cold War, and then it was like, well, we need an, we need the F-4 Phantom, we need the uh, Delta Dart, we need, like, oh, you had, like, the Thunder Chief, you had the Aardvark, you had, like, all these various aircraft that had, like, they were specific, they were almost specialized on one mission, and then there was another one, like, there was a general purpose fighter, like the F-4 Phantom, and there was every every other sub-fighter was created for it. So, like, the Aardvark, the Thunder Chief, like, all these other aircraft were thrown into these categories. Like, we need one who did this because it would be better if we had a, you know, an X versus a Y, and the Y is the B-52 B bomber, and we need something that uh, we can keep in closer airfields, so the Thunder Chief is one, so it's quick action. And basically you start seeing, like, how, like, three rolls suddenly get filled by 40 planes, and then at the end of that, you, at the end of the Cold War, the U.S. Air Force goes to the F-16, F-15, 
family and um, then gets the F-22 and now the F-35 is entering that. And the Navy um, goes from a ton of aircraft down to the F-14, which now is retired, and then the F-18 series, and now the F-35. And it's kind of amazing to think about how, how much gear has been just retired and taken out of inventory. Dorian, how many um, other parts like, you know, the, the you know, C, the various C-130s that have suddenly become only one family, how there were tons of transport planes like the C-141 and stuff like that, which now there's only three and like how, how the consolidation of the efforts have come down. Maybe it's because they found the, like, maybe it's because they decided to go with the Swiss Army knife, like it just does good enough for all the roles that we don't need 40 planes to fill everything. Um... Also, seeing an SR-71 and an, A and an A-12, the basis for the SR-71, and the drone the SR-71 and A-12 carried were freaking amazing. Um, and all these experimental stuff and all these fighters and, like, World War II and the and the uh, B-29 boxcar, which dropped the uh, bomb on Nagasaki, being, seeing it that there, seeing B-17, the Memphis Bell. Yeah, just a, a amazing, amazing, um, amazing experience. I mean, like, you know, four massive hangars you walk through. As well as you get to see ICBMs and a real representation of a MERV system with real-sized inert warheads. And it's like, holy crap. Oh, what the heck. And they have some of the Apollo rockets. they got a Gemini capsule. They've got a Mercury capsule. Um, they've got Apollo 15's uh, capsule, like just unbelievably amazing stuff when you actually get down to it. And that was great. So we went to Dayton for a few days, and then we, on that trip, we traveled to Columbus, Ohio, um, which had some good shopping. Columbus, Ohio is like a gem. Like I definitely would go back there because it was just a, like it felt like there was good enough stuff to do. Um, if you're going there to shop, it definitely had the shops. It had a polite environment, which for an 800-person city and a 2.2 million-person metro area did not feel... It felt smaller than it actually was by a lot, and the people were very friendly and very nice and very approachable. Um, had some pretty good pizza there. Had some great, um, great lean corned beef at a at a amazing deli, Katzenberg's, that's apparently been there for 30 years. And they've got pickle barrels that if you're eating in, you can just go and grab as almost as many as you want. I mean, there's there's probably a, is a limit of how many you could grab, but they seem to be really generous with them. They want to charge you like 40 cents if you take them home with you, which I think is fair because some people might empty the barrel and take pickles home with them. And at 40 cents, that is a logical deterrent. But we ate there. That was fun. Um... One thing I did notice is about how so many of the pictures on the wall, at least in the area we were eating at, weren't of famous people eating there. It was of the employees and their families having good times and being thanked and like pictures and stuff like that. So that was a really good sign. Um, you know, it was very nice. Also, um, had the best burger I've ever eaten, ever. And it's at this uh, little sort of food place for a bar bar and clubs called Preston's and Preston's burger is an amazing burger and they use a potato bun that is slightly sweet it's almost like an egg bun um, for those who've had smash burger it's very similar to an egg bun but it's fluffy it's like fluffier and not as like and sweeter 
but it maintains the fl it absorbs the flavor better than an egg bun does and it had an amazing topping and the sauces were like perfectly complementary to the beef on that burger just unbelievable like the best hamburger i've had like that um i don't think i've had a better hamburger of that tier there might have been i may have had a better truly expensive gourmet hamburger but this was the best hamburger for that quality for that price range ever i've if there was a 40 dollar hamburger i've if i've eaten a 40 dollar hamburger and i think i may have it may have been better by such a tiny margin and it wouldn't have been and this burger for six american dollars is worth more than anything else i've eaten amazing hamburger definitely recommend and hope that uh if we ever get back there i'll try it again um Let's go on to some video games, some video games, some video games. Uh, well, been playing some Fire Emblem Warriors, and when I was on that trip, I was actually having a good time um, with the Switch. The Switch really has come into its own, in my opinion. Like, when I'm traveling, the Switch just makes sense to take with me. If I'm, you know, we're on a trip, and then it's a... Go back to the hotel room for an hour or two before dinner, and don't really want to do much. Just throw the Switch on and play that. I will say that um, it's interesting how different TVs and different hotel room setups deal with um, the idea of plugging in the switch. So we were in three hotels. I only use uh, I only play the switch in two of them. Um, the we put we stayed at a courtyard by Marriott in Columbus, Ohio, which had a sort of cable box that then had two HDMI well two or three HDMI ports added onto the cable box that you had to plug into. If you plug directly into the TV, the TV had no idea you were plugging into that. So it was useless. The TV controls were completely uh, completely annihilated. It took the Switch and the TV box about two minutes to figure out that they were talking to each other. And it was talking to the TV. So it was a little touch and go to get started. But that was considerably better than the TV we had uh, that I had at the... Um, Red Lion Inn, and I'm not blaming the Red Lion Inn for this. This may have been a quirk with this specific LG brand model TV, and as far as I know, I think that's the case, is that this TV kept thinking it was at a low power level when the Switch was trying to play, so it would occasionally kick the Switch signal off and the Switch would play on itself. I thought it was my HDMI cable, or I thought it was my Switch... Um, this USB-C to HDMI adapter that I have, I bought from Amazon for like 40 bucks. Which, if it turns out it's that, I'm kind of, I would be a little annoyed, but heck, I've used it on five trips, and that's okay. Like, you know, slightly annoyed for a $40 item that I bought two years ago, um, not working anymore is not a major, I don't know, about, actually about a year ago, but I've used it enough that I, it wouldn't piss me off if that had failed and broken. It doesn't feel like it's a $100 worthy item. I wish uh, Nintendo would make a portable dock uh, unit that was really small and like, clamped onto the Switch and gave it good heating and vent good ventilation. But uh, I'll, I should actually look and see if they've done that. I highly doubt they have. But maybe they have, and if it's $80, it might be worth it if it's really small and portable. So I've been playing that. Um, I What I've noticed is that uh, I'm in for the long slog because I'm trying to unlock all the characters and it turns out you have to do a lot of the historic, 
historical mode, and I thought, I'll try to unlock the character of Anna. Well, she's a level 80 mission you have to beat to get her. And my best characters are in the low 30s, so uh, that's a long, long slog to get to finish that game up, which is fine. And it definitely feels better to play like two or three rounds, which may turn out to be 30 to 40 minutes of game time a day. Stop there, get bored, put it away, play again for another. You can get three or four um, things done. You can probably get your characters up three or four levels by doing so. Um, at least your strong ones that you really prefer, um, which I my strong characters are definitely going up fast. And I'm not paying for the extra training either. Um, so it's been it's been really fun. Um, I can see where if you want to do long marathons, it feels, it truly does feel like a, like a hard slog. If you're doing those short runs, like three or four, um, maps a day, not too hard to get through. And this is an old game at this point. Like Fire Emblem Warriors is not a new game <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Just my opinion on it though. Uh, and then, um, uh, I've been also playing the Naruto, um, Ninja Storm franchise, I played one of the original Naruto fighting games. It was a 2D one on the PlayStation 2 um, years ago. Years ago. I believe it was the PlayStation 2. Because uh, we me and my friends were into One Piece, and I have on uh, my GameCube, I have One Piece Grand Battle and One Piece Grand Adventure, which are really fun games. And I hope that one day those get ported to PC because those were really nice. Like, just as legendary games, they're pretty cool. I have, um, of the series for the, um, Naruto, uh, Nor Ninja Storm series, I've, they came in a, tr you could buy a trilogy of 1, 2, and 3 on the Switch, and then 4 is out on PC, so I have 4 on my PC, I've got the first 3 on the Switch, and frankly, they are, they don't overstay their welcome, um, number one, the fighting's pretty good, um, and the open world mechanic of running around the Hidden Leaf Village is kind of... Not the greatest, but running around getting scrolls and getting money and all this to do that makes sense, but it's not as, um, it's definitely more restrictive than you think, and you spend a lot of time jumping around, and it doesn't feel like, I don't know if that was a remake of the original game that I played years ago, or if it's a new, new take on it, um, like a completely reimagining of that entire series, but it does feel like a bigger slog, and has follows the storyline of the original Naruto series, but isn't, um, like, doesn't really do too much. It doesn't flesh itself out as well as it should, at least in my opinion on that. Um, started playing number two, and that is way better, because that's the second Naruto series, the, I can't even pronounce the thing, you know, the one where he's two years older, and there's the time skip and all that. If you're a Naruto fan, you know that. I've read a little bit of Naruto, I've watched a bit of the shows, um, but this has been, that one's been fun, because it actually feels like the world is considerably larger. You're more restrictive in where you can travel, but it's a larger place, you've got more places to visit from the world, so it seems, it doesn't seem as bad. I haven't played three yet, um, only played the first two levels and the first two missions and four, so feels good, um. Definitely was a learning curve getting into the fighting, how it's not technique fighting, it's more closer to Smash Bros. Although the defense is, um, I will say this, defending on the Nintendo Switch um, controllers are, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But I think that's also just me being slow. 
so I can't blame the Switch for that. And then, um, you know, one, two, and three on the Switch, they don't use up a lot of battery. Like, I was on a three-hour flight, and I played for two and a half hours, and I only used 50% of my battery on those games. So that was um, not too bad. I'm actually mildly impressed by that battery life. Because I know if I did the same amount in Breath of the Wild or um, any others... Well, Breath of the Wild is probably a really intense game. Uh, I don't know. I did, I've never played Bayonetta on the airplanes just because it's kind of an odd one to do. But we'll see. Um, I haven't tried Bayonetta yet, so that might be a little easier. Like, I think as people got to know the Switch better, they realized its advantages and disadvantages better. We'll see. We'll see. Um... And for a little Ace Combat news, uh, Ace Combat Bat, uh, 7 is getting an orchestral showing of its soundtrack in Japan um, by December, and uh, they're releasing on December 3rd a six-disc, 100-track uh, official soundtrack, which is great because somebody's going to get that and release it to the Ace Combat community, and the us Ace Combat fans will be able to download the official release instead of the rips from the... PS4 version um, with the audio track that people have done, which are really good. It's just like getting, um, it'd be nice to have some of the official titles or properly um, and some of the other stuff because obviously there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Uh, so that'll be cool. That'll be cool. Uh, oh, another thing about the Naruto games is that because they're, it's a one person on one person fighting game, it doesn't need a big screen to actually be fun to play. Now, I don't know. It would be kind of congested, I think, to play uh, as two people <coughs> on that. But the way the camera's set up, it, uh, it doesn't harm itself. Um, definitely, if you're playing one person against comp, the small screen of the Switch is just pretty good for it. No complaints. And I play Bayonetta on the small screen, and that's not the best, but it works. It works, sort of thing. Um, Hong Kong is having the unrest, and and reporter Michael Yan, um, yeah, I think he calls himself a reporter. He doesn't call himself a journalist at all. Um, he's kind of a photographer. He's there, been covering it, and he's doing a stellar job. And look him up and go into his Facebook page and watch his past videos and him doing live streams and stuff like that. It's been amazing to watch, and it's really good that he's there doing that as well as other people and getting correct and current video out about the whole um, situation I, I like it's crazy how the Chinese are betraying it to their people versus the Hong Kong and the internationals are seeing it I mean China did deny the US Navy from docking a couple of ships in Hong Kong probably scared that if the American Navy docked ships as well as Marines going off and having fun in Hong Kong and getting involved in the riots, like, that could be a big level. Probably also don't want to have the ability of another nation having military capability to intervene in these things, or at least get involved. Like, like I don't think China wants to deal with that. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, not really too much else. I plan to have another episode up next week, and probably one before Labor Day, hopefully. Either the 31st or... or um, yeah, probably the 31st at night. Um, I'm seeing Cirque du Soleil's coming to Calgary then, and I'm going to go see it on the 31st, so probably later that night I'll get one up. 
If not, I'll see if I can get one up on Saturday. Uh, record one sa that Saturday mo Saturday afternoon when I get back from work. It's going to be a hectic next two weeks. <laughs> Let's just say that. And uh, September may only see one episode at the start of September. By September 12th, I'll probably have an episode up. Um, in fact, I'll have to have an episode up at least before September 11th. Um, because I won't have time after that. I had to uh, Israel and Jordan for the rest of September, and then I get back and no real travel plans until going away for four day, for four to five days in November, and then again sticking around for a while. So that's about it. I didn't really have much to talk about. I just wanted to have a short episode, really. And that's about it, all we're going to talk about today. All right, this is Jaws signing off. Thanks for listening.